Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. And, and that's remarkable. This week, we are not starting the podcast with a question that I posed to you. Alex, do you know why? Wow. <laughs> no, tell me why. Because you just made fun of me for starting every week with a question that you were not prepared for. And I'm not going to do it this week. Fine. You well, want different? You, you I know, can give you different. You know what I will say? The the first thing that you said on the podcast was, we're not starting with a question. And then you asked me, do, do you, you know, know why? why? Yeah, sure. So whatever. You can't, you can't shake the habit. I'm sorry. Oh, you're being it's a, technicality it's a now. guy now. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's me, Mr. Technicality. Reply guy, Alex Basley. No, this week we're starting with, and I hate to do this because you've just made an enemy out of me in the first 30 seconds of the podcast, but I would like to start this week with an apology, my friend. Do you know what I'm going to apologize for and who I'm going to apologize to? Uh, no, I'm now I'm actually waiting on pins and needles for this. Yeah, you what, like this, don't you? Huh? Yeah. So yeah, much for making me. fun are of my gonna, intros. Are you going to pull up your notes app and like <laughs> type out an apology for us? <laughs> I'm sorry to anyone that I might have offended. No, um, I'm apologizing to one Homer Bailey. Alex, Homer Bailey, I shit on him a little bit. I made fun of you as an A's fan for having to rely on Homer Bailey as being the guy that you picked up at the deadline to bolster the rotation until guys like Jesus Lazardo and AJ Puck could come back and help out and Sean Benaya as well. I shouldn't leave him off the list and disrespect him. But no, I would like to apologize for Homer Bailey because I've been thinking of him as a shitty pitcher who was filling in innings until the A's could hopefully scrounge to the wildcard game, pitch Sean Benaya and bullpen their way into finally getting over that hump. But I want, I want to issue the apology because today against the lowly Kansas City Royals, Homer Bailey was amazing. Seven innings, 11 Ks. And honestly, he's been pretty good as an Oakland day. So just a general blanket apology to our Christian Bale-looking, kind of scary Civil War general, Homer Bailey. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I, I don't. the Royals are not a very good team, but you got to beat the bad teams, right? Before you beat the good teams. So, uh, so you got to tip your hat to, to Homer Bailey. Do you think that like, the only reason he looked so good was because he literally played for this team like three yeah, months ago. I was just going to say knows that. all the hitters' weaknesses at this point. I mean, he, along with the rest of the league, knows all of the hitters' weaknesses at this point. Yeah, it's just swinging at bad pitches. That's all you got to do, folks. Just throw it in the dirt. Okay, the uh, the playoff race is in full swing. We are nearing the end of the season, but we are eminently unqualified to talk about that seriously. So we have a totally made-up segment per usual coming up. But before we get to that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. Not a lot has happened in the last week of baseball since we recorded this podcast. I know that these games are supposed to be the most important games of the season. And of course they are. But nothing truly remarkable has happened. The wild card races are kind of still in the exact place that we left them. So rather than try to pretend like the Mets have some crazy outside chance of getting in, 
or try to pretend that the A's are going to do anything except confound us and continue to win 90 plus games despite having a low payroll. We decided we would make up a segment this week. This is our bread and butter, making shit up and uh, not talking about actual baseball. Yeah, exactly. Um, the The Oakland A's are going to win 97 games, but we're <laughs> we're we're about to just uh, just go totally off the books here. To throw everything aside. I don't like the most notable thing that's happened in the last week is that the best player in baseball is out for the rest of the season. Like, why yeah. would you even want to pay attention at this point? Like, I'm just like, let's just tune it out. The other notable thing is that Christian Yelich is out for the rest of the season, right? Did we talk about that last week? I can't even remember. I feel, we like, oh, we did. I think we, we, yeah, we, we, we like briefly mentioned it, right? Like yeah. in passing, but you, you can't dwell on those things. It just makes us too sad. Yes, let's move on. And what we are moving on to is the 10 tools of tipping pitches, ideal superstar in baseball. Alex, we, we brought 10 characteristics, five each, to the table and we are going to, I think I described it to you over text message as Build-A-Bear, but for baseball superstar. So it's not just going to be the actual five tools or the OBP or anything like that. We are going to have some on-field characteristics, but it's going to be a lot of off-field characteristics. Basically, the thought experiment is we want to create the ideal superstar for the 2020s decade. What does that person look like? What is attractive about them to fans? What would cause us to root for that person beyond the loyalties of our favorite team? So it's not just who's going to be our favorite Mets player, who's going to be our favorite A's player or whatever. It's who's going to be the ideal face of baseball as as dictated by the principles of our podcast, which if you're a longtime listener, you know, doesn't have quite as much to do with on the field product as it does about the cult of personality around that person. So I'm going to let you kick us off. What is the first thing for the tipping pitches ideal superstar? The first thing I want for my ideal baseball superstar, and I'm sorry because I'm going to come off sounding like a homer here, which I absolutely am, but that's Matt Chapman's ability to make you believe in magic (laughs) because there is no player in baseball, and I promise I'm not saying this because I'm an A's fan, but there's no player in baseball but Matt Chapman who momentarily just makes my jaw hit the floor because I physically did not believe a human being would be able to do the things that I'm seeing unfold on the field right there. And and I speak of this almost entirely uh, with regards to his defensive prowess because the sheer ability of him to do wondrous wizardry like things at third base is I think unparalleled to to pretty much anyone else in baseball, unless your name rhymes with Bolin Snarinato. So, uh, so <laughs> Matt Chapman, bring your, uh, bring your wand, your, uh, your wizarding cap because, uh, because you're playing a big part in a, in the superstar of the 2020 decade. I love that. Uh, when we were coming up with these, with these characteristics, these traits, these tools, I think I suggested for you just Matt Chapman's defensive stance, but you took it one step further and just all of the aspects that make him a wizard at third base. He, it's such a baseball like nerd thing to say, like he's one of my favorite players to watch because of what he does defensively. And um, the same applies for Angelton Simmons with the Angels playing shortstop. Um, But I think that's kind of where you and I are at, right? Like we want to have something to pander to 
the real baseball truthers, you know, the, 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 the people who appreciate some good fundies, you know, but we can leave out the whole like regressive nature of the idea of talking about fundamentals. And we can just talk about the, the wonderment of getting to watch Matt Chapman play third base, which you are privileged to do pretty much 162 games a year. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't want to talk about how, how he leaves it all out on the field (laughs) and he just like grounds it out at third base. I just want to talk about how like he makes me feel some things like in some places that I don't often feel. And, uh, and I don't know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave it at that. What's, uh, (laughs) what's first up on your list? Uh, speaking of players who make you feel some things that you don't often feel for other players. First on my list, Javier Baez, his playful disposition towards playing the game of baseball. And this is like a little bit of a cheat because a lot of things are involved in this, but I think probably the most important, the number one thing that I need from the player who would be this ideal superstar for the 2020 decade is everything that they do needs to prove that what they're doing while playing baseball is fun. But I think that's our biggest gripe with the game, right? Like is the idea that frequently players, pundits, fans, announcers are expected to act like the game that they're playing is more serious than it is. And Javi Baez has never done that. He's never given into that uh, regressive, unwritten rule of just play the game like it's a business. Button up your your jersey and come to work every day, and uh, you know iron your pants when you get off the field. That kind of mentality. And like, I wonder what it's like to be able to root for Javi Baez wholeheartedly because I'm always rooting for him from a cultural perspective. But it seems like every day. Or it seems like every, it seems like since he's been up for the Chicago Cubs, they have been in opposition to the Mets, and I've had to. He's kind of been a foil to my fandom, but um, I, I don't think we can start anywhere without starting with his playful and loving disposition towards the actual game of baseball. You know, I went on this like we went on this rant last week about minor league baseball and standing up for the actual game of baseball and like what we love about it and the pace of it and um, the feeling that you get while the feeling while being able to smell the outfield grass and all of that good stuff that we love about baseball. And I don't really think there's anybody who proves any of that better than Javi Baez. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but watching him play baseball kind of makes you feel like he's letting you in on a little bit of a secret. Yeah. Like it's like like watching him go paint. Yeah, exactly. Like he does everything almost with like a wink and a nod where he like, like every time he comes up to bat, it's like he's looking at you, the viewer and saying, watch this. Mm-hmm. And that's just a a beautiful, a beautiful thing to witness. I know we wax poetic about him. It feels like on every other episode, but, um, but any excuse to talk about Javi Baez is a pretty darn good excuse in my book. He breaks the fourth wall like fucking Ferris Bueller. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, what's next for you? We're on uh we're on tool number three. Give me Jose Ramirez's swagger any day of the week. He plays baseball with like I know that we were just talking about this kind of like effervescence for the game and like uh like he's looking at you and he's talking to you, but Jose Ramirez like struts to the plate and he's almost like his lip is kind of like snarled a little bit and he's got this big wad of of dip or something or other in his lower lip and and he doesn't fit the mold of the prototypical player and i think that that's what 
what draws me to him so much is that it's not so much that he's letting you in on a secret. It's that it's that he's got a secret and he sure as hell is not going to tell you. And he's just going to go up there and like yeah. do his shit and get it done. I mean, like you really want to talk about leaving it all in the field. Like there's that guy who like is so much a, a one track mind that, um, I don't know. He like, uh, he, he lets his shoulders swing a little bit when he walks and, and I absolutely love it. I think something that I like about guys that have like a swagger like that and are cocky like that, you know, I love somebody who can be humble. Like I love somebody, you know, I, I was flirting with the idea of putting uh, Pete Alonzo's kind of like wonderment for the spotlight of New York on here. How like every time I hear Pete talk, he's just like super duper thankful of the fact that he like has this opportunity. But the flip side of that coin is like when you see Jose Ramirez execute this swagger with... um such you know deft confidence and the way that Manny Machado kind of walks around on the baseball field like like he owns the place like I kind of am attracted to that you know I think it's uh it's a little bit like anti-hero-y and if you're not rooting for Jose Ramirez like it, it's just kind of like I I like that he's gonna rub fans of the other team maybe the wrong way from time to time with that big uh wad of dip in his lip and and whatnot but that's what baseball players are supposed to look like. You know, like that is what you, you look at something like the Sandlot, which I think is like embodying a lot of these ideals as well. And that's what Ham is doing, you know, walking around with like this puffed up confidence that's pretty funny and pretty fun and in in the right spirit of the game. Yeah. And I think what what sets Jose Ramirez apart, or even a guy like Manny Machado from time to time, is that it's not necessarily all outwardly projected like it's not like jose ramirez is going out there and jeering fans or or jeering the other team and and trying to get people all riled up and he's like a really divisive player it just feels like he walks up there and he exudes this confidence because he knows he's gonna get shit done and he's not gonna he's not gonna necessarily rub it in the pitcher's face or anything like that but he goes up there and i'm like yeah this this guy may not look it but he knows that he belongs here you could have very easily picked Bryce Harper swagger, you know, but I'm glad that you picked Jose Ramirez's because Bryce Harper's is very, very in your face. And and I love that. I love that in certain doses, sometimes small, sometimes large. It changes from time to time. But Jose Ramirez's feels like a better cadence. And I think that it will round out our player very nicely. Hell yeah. Right. Uh, what's next up for you? Tool number four. Tool number four. Let's get to the actual baseball skills here. And I don't think that there is a more important baseball skill. I guess your your wizardry thing with Matt Chapman was baseball skills related. But here's something that's just downright, I need it to have a good player. We have to have a good player for them to be a superstar. And that is Mike Trout's swing. Yeah, just, <laughs> just enough said, right? <laughs> like, do you even have to like explain it? It's like just... Just go watch him. You'll exactly. get it. You'll see one and you'll understand. Just the sheer, the power, the um, the compactness of the swing, the way the ball jumps off the bat, the speed and everything. It's like watching, I don't know, you, you watch some of these guys, like these unbelievably impressive athletes. Like you think of someone like LeBron, you think of someone like Michael Phelps, like, I don't know, you think of someone like Usain Bolt where they just like, you're watching them dominate something and you can't possibly understand how anyone could be so good at this one thing and I just need like I need that in the player like I that is the reason that I love watching Mike Trout so much the other thing that I that I love about Mike Trout and that I wish we could 
cheat and put on this list as well, but is maybe caught a little bit with your Jose Ramirez, the swagger thing is that Mike Trout walks like a lion. He has like Simba energy where like the entire kingdom is his, the way that he just like walks around on a baseball field. Like if you watch him hit a home run and he trots around the bases and he's like sauntering a little bit and, uh, and he gets back to home and he steps on home plate and then he just kind of like, you know, casually walks back and gives whoever a high five, like whatever one war player that's on the angels hitting after him a high five. Yeah. I just love like that kind of like I'm exactly in my groove nature of Mike Trout and his swing is the perfect embodiment of that. Like he's never outside of himself, although he's swinging super hard. He just knows exactly what he needs to do and when he needs to do it. He's so in control um, at the plate. And so I feel like if we had a superstar with the perfect personality and just the ability of of Mike Trout to electrify from from home plate, I mean, what else could you want? Yeah, well, it's interesting actually that you draw that parallel between Trout and Ramirez because I was going to almost do the opposite in that like you put the two of them like in front of the plate and they feel like they're at opposite ends of the spectrum where Mike Trout's feels like there's zero wasted energy. It's all like completely honed. Like every elbow, every body part is in, is in like the right spot. It's like the, the platonic ideal of the swing. And then Jose Ramirez like walks up there and he's just kind of swinging out of his ass. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's, and it's beautiful, but they're, but they are two sides of the, the same coin, right? Like the ultimate feeling is this like feeling of, catharsis of watching someone like totally just in their own element doing exactly the thing that they want to and know how to do best and there's and there's nothing better than that yeah mike trout is like watching the best player on mlb the show and jose ramirez is like watching the best player on backyard baseball like it's not perfect yeah somehow it gets the job done yeah he's the best kid in your in your little league game where it's like what the fuck how did this guy just hit it into the tennis courts he's 13 (laughs) years old (laughs) okay um, we're up to number five, halfway through. So, so many of these traits that we talk about are, uh, what, whether they are specific baseball skills or, or maybe more personality traits, uh, they're all pretty much reflected or played out on the baseball field. But if we're going to craft the, the perfect baseball superstar, I need a player with Marcus Stroman's fashion sense. <laughs> this man does not... <laughs> get the the clout and the recognition that he deserves for being a true fashion icon. And and basketball, you know, we talk so much on this podcast about what if baseball were basketball and basketball gets um equal attention, I think, for the for, you know, players walking into the stadium. And what is like what is Russell Westbrook wearing today or to his post-game press conference or whatever? And it feels like Marcus Stroman is the kind of player who can like carry that energy like on his shoulders. I mean, the dude owns his own fashion line. As you pointed out to me before we started recording, he wears a do-rag under his hat while he pitches. He, if you go and stroll his, if you go and scroll through his Instagram profile, it looks like you would see him walking around Soho in New York. Like here's one with him wearing a, um, a Supreme fanny pack. I was just going to say, he's definitely in line for the Supreme (laughs) fucking pop-up in Soho. Yeah, exactly. And these are like three quarter, like blue spotted pants. I mean, like 
he really he's a hype beast if there ever was one and we need way more of that energy in yeah. baseball yeah 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 100 i love marcus stroman i'm so happy that the mets traded for him i mean i was aware of like his connection to the toronto fan base and like you know we have a friend who's a blue jays fan so i have heard of him talk about his love for stroman and say and he said to me when he got traded it was like take him you know take him nicely take him with care um but i i'm glad that i've gotten to have the marcus stroman experience for the last month or two even though it took him a little while to get used to pitching in new york or for new york or whatever you want to say um, I, I love Marcus Stroman as a person. I think he's one of the most fun players in baseball. So I'm glad that you added that and this was the specificity of his his wardrobe because um that's great. I love it. Yeah. Marcus Stroman, come on tipping pitches and give us fashion advice because Literally. I'm sure that we surely could need it. <laughs> critique, critique my boring ass cuffed jeans and cuffed t-shirts, Marcus Stroman. <laughs> uh all right, I think you're up. Uh okay. I, I think something that you and I both value is uh, defense, as evidenced by your Matt Chapman thing, um, and and something that I value is defense as well. But not not only just defense, but speed, and um, I would say grace and instinct. And so, the next thing that I have chosen for the tool to make the perfect tipping pitches superstar is Byron Buxton's lack of fear. So, I think Byron Buxton is the best outfielder in baseball. Um, I, I think back to the wild Wait, just card. like just like defensively or just overall. Well, obviously defensively. We were just talking about Mike Trout for fucking twenty <laughs> minutes, dude. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, I will speak with more specificity. Byron Buxton, best defensive outfielder in baseball. Um, right. I think back to the wild card game between the the Twins and the Yankees when Byron Buxton kind of had his first full breakout year, and then they got to. The wild card game, and he only made it like two innings in because he uh, he chased a ball down an insane distance in center field in Yankee Stadium and went crashing into the wall to catch it and ended up hurting himself doing that. Um, his lack of fear in the outfield, his ability to get close to the wall and make that highlight catch, and obviously, like his unbelievable athleticism comes along with this. But I want that same energy out of my superstar. I mean, I, I don't know what position our superstar is playing. We don't need to be that specific about it, but just his utter desire to make that one highlight real play, the web gem, and to get that out for his pitcher. You know, I, I that sounds a little bit like a classic baseball talking head, like you just got to get that out for your pitcher. You know, you got to sacrifice your body to do that. But there is something so selfless about the idea of an outfielder laying it all on the line to make an insane play. You think of some of like the Kevin Kiermeyer plays. And I I like that I like that defensive mindset where Byron Buxton is like, I need to get to this ball, no holds barred. And um I, I want a little bit of a little dose of that in my player. Maybe not too much because we can't have the superstar of the 2020s decade hurting himself in center field at Yankee Stadium. But <laughs> uh, you know, I want a, a drop or two of that. And I think that it's not necessarily that most other outfielders in baseball wouldn't necessarily have that same grit or that drive to to leave it all out there and and put their body on the line. But he combines this this like sheer 
pure distilled athleticism that makes it such a such a feat to watch you know mm-hmm. like like he will be playing way in and go and run and crash into the wall on a fly ball and i'm like how did you get to that and no disrespect to my boy mark canna but when he's playing like center field near the warning track and he goes and runs and crashes into a wall i'm just kind of like Buddy, are you good? Are you all right? <laughs> Did you know the wall was there? <laughs> so, yeah, I think you're right in in that you, I, I mean, it is kind of similar to that Matt Chapman thing where you just like, you watch him like just totally lay out for something and you're like, what the hell is he doing out there? And whether or not he comes up with it or not, you're just like, Jesus Christ, my guy, like t- take it down a notch or three for just for your own sake. Like you're going to, you're going to seriously hurt yourself, but it's a, uh, it's, it's a feat to watch. That's for sure. Yeah. I think uh, something that I frequently think about while watching guys like Ramon Laureano or um, Chapman or Buxton, of course, uh, as they play defense is that like, everything is happening so fast and they're so in control. It's like watching like a Formula One driver. Like, how were they so in control of their innate human reaction times? Like, to watch Matt Chapman snare like 110 mile an hour one hopper off the bat and then make an easy throw to first, it's like, I didn't even have time to mentally process watching you do that, let alone be the person to do that. And I feel the same way about the way that Buxton reacts to the ball off the bat and just continues on to finish the play out. So um, let's sprinkle a little bit of that on there and move on to, I I believe we're up to what, number seven? Yes. Seventh tool for the Tipping Pitches Superstar. And they can be distilled into one specific thing. Actually, I guess the 20 specific things. And that is Francisco Lindor's teeth. (laughs) just the teeth <laughs> this is so like uh oh my god it's uh it's like it's like we're building we're building frankenstein over here is what we're doing we're just taking little bits from everywhere um he this this like almost feels like a like a cop-out because i feel like we we say francisco lindor's name all the time and we talk about his his beautiful beautiful smile but i think deeper than his pearly whites which are indeed very pearly and very white is is that he's not afraid to actually um have these over the top displays of emotion yeah and i think that's like the biggest thing arguably for me as a baseball fan that i that i want to see from my favorite players is the fact that like you're actually just having fun with the game and and you know what if you have a if you have a really nice smile to go along with it like I, i'm not going to complain i i found this quote from uh this is from back in like 2016 i think where he was given an interview with Harold Reynolds and There's uh, our guy. And, <laughs> and Harold Reynolds um asked what uh if he if he wasn't a baseball player uh what would he be and male Lindor, model. Yeah, mail mail, honestly. Um, <laughs> ESPN, the body issue uh, picture Permanent hanging up on my story. wall. <laughs> um, but uh, he said, a dentist. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and Reynolds said, why? And Lindor responded, I've always been the type of kid that always smiles, but since I got my braces off, I was smiling even more. 
it gives you that confidence. And I would love to be able to help people that way. And wow. first of all, wow. it sounds like it sounds like a paid advertisement. Francisco Lindor like, coached me through life. <laughs> for like a dentistry startup where he's like, ever since I got my braces off, <laughs> I always loved smiling. <laughs> but I I think that it's true and it speaks to his his sheer joy. And uh and you love to see it, folks. So here's here's what I think about a lot when I watch Francisco Lindor. It's the the thing you hit on, you nailed it, I think, is that the, the displays of emotion are so grand and he's resetting the the norm for that, I think. Like the display the grand display of emotion in baseball is usually reserved for the guy throwing the water cooler or breaking his bat or the manager yelling at the umpire. Like those are the I think like kind of the most frequent grand displays of emotion. And Francisco Lindor smiling in itself is a grand display of emotion. So I think great choice. I love Francisco Lindor. I love how you really nailed down on just like anatomy. Like you just, it, it wasn't Francisco, Lind, Francisco Lindor's smile. It's just his teeth. Just <laughs> We're the just going to take them out like they're dentures and <laughs> pop them into our guy. Uh, honestly, like there are a number of guys who we could have just chosen as the 2020 superstar going forward, but that's not fun. That's not, that's not a podcast segment. That's just us gushing over Francisco Lindor, which we do in our free time. So if you're our friend or you want to become our friend, you can just hear us do that all the time. Um, (laughs) let's move on. But before we move on, I want to say Francisco Lindor, most attractive man in baseball. Please at me if you feel differently. Um, but we're just going to move on from that because this is our podcast. Uh, next up, number eight, Andrew McCutcheon's social media savvy. It's much talked about how like NBA Twitter is more of a thing than MLB Twitter and uh, that NBA players and even NFL players, I guess, are savvier on social media than baseball players because baseball players tend to be more reserved and to want to um, do more traditional media methods you know like i feel like i feel like the idea of being a social media savvy baseball player is just like not fucking up by interacting up with barstool too hard and that's that's too low of a bar (laughs) frankly because i think our bar should be maybe not at andrew mccutcheon's level because he's perfect on twitter um but somewhere closer to that like we should strive towards being as funny and as honest and as relatable as our guy Andrew McCutcheon on Twitter, please follow him if you do not. And if you think that you see him tweeting about something that we should interact with on tipping pitches, head us with those DMs, baby. Tipping underscore pitches. I want the the superstar of the 2020s to be able to engage with fans wherever they might be. Like we're always talking about how the game is dying. Uh, you know, like people are not watching on TV. Well, like. Maybe maybe people will be watching fucking highlights of our superstar on TikTok. Who, who the hell knows, Alex? I don't, certainly. And I don't pretend to. So I need my, uh, I need my superstar to have that ability to um, meet people where they are. Because if you can't meet people where they are, how are you going to create a devoted fan base to really be the banner face of MLB in the 2020s? If Andrew McCutcheon made a TikTok... I think that that might be the greatest day of my life. I am, I am not even kidding. I mean, his Instagram presence is, is almost too much to handle for me just because it feels like actually like 
unfiltered, but like TikTok is just like another level of, of like a look into someone's psyche. And uh, TikTok, I still I don't, don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't either. So if a, if a major league baseball player was able to tap into it and understand it, it God damn, man. Like, I'll I'll get down on one knee right now. Like, let's do this thing. <laughs> mini rant. Okay, wait, mini rant. This is just not even, this rant doesn't belong in tipping pitches, but this is my only outlet. So, for all of the times that a person on a podcast who doesn't know what TikTok is or who doesn't have a TikTok or who doesn't use the app or make TikToks has said that they don't understand it, we could have all just fucking understood it by now. We've spent more time saying it on podcasts that we don't get it. It's like a it's like a way of announcing what generation you're in without saying how old you are. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> um all right, I think I'm up to my uh, my last one. This is number 9. And this this probably overlaps with much of what we've talked about before. Uh it's quite specifically your Javier Baez point, but I I need my baseball superstar and and I was not going to be able to go this whole segment without saying his name but I need him to have the the youthful just effervescent joy for the game that Yasiel Puig does and I almost don't really know how to effectively communicate it anymore because I feel like I I wax poetic about this sort of thing like every single moment of every day. Mm-hmm. But but when he's out there on the field, I I feel like I am out there with him. Like it feels like it, like just it in feels his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like a much more personal experience where where sure. where baseball is such a stoic and straight-faced thing and it's so easy to get sucked in especially because every moment is is so tense um especially in the postseason um it feels like you're always on the edge of your seat and biting your fingernails and to have a player who can just kind of inject this um quirky like off-putting personality into this game that is treated like fucking church i <laughs> The, I don't know. I don't. I don't think you could ask for any more. Genuinely, that was beautiful. I'm <laughs> I'm moved over here, <laughs> and I, I'm not just putting him on the list because literally, um, 34 minutes ago he hit uh, a walk off single for the Indians. In fact, that uh, that hurts my uh, my my A's team very much. But uh, but you know, I'll I'll root for him regardless. I still can't believe he's on the Indians, man. We ah, haven't so talked weird. about that enough. It's super so weird. <laughs> and like his hair is red. Like we literally we didn't talk about any of this stuff. But here here we are. He should be on the Dodgers still. Uh, yeah, that's my, why my I just I just I just want the listeners to know that's why we haven't changed the photo for our podcast, which is him licking a bat in a Dodgers uniform because that's what he'll always be. Sorry to break it to y'all. Yeah, I love um I love his superstition, man. His love for the game extends to the superstition for not wanting to fuck anything up. And that's why he licks the bat when he's feeling it and he doesn't when he's not. So um yeah, I think that's something that I need because it's something that I have emotionally and was trained to have through growing up playing the game as a kid. Um and so that that's a good thing that comes along with his love for the game, I think. Um all right, I'm going to close this out here. This segment has gone so long, as all of our typical segments do. But the 10th and final thing for the Tipping Pitches Ideal 2020 Superstar 
We need that dude to be a good teammate, Alex. We need them to make the rest of the clubhouse feel good. I think it feels great when you're a fan and you watch a player on your team kind of pick up, lift up another player on their on the team when they're down and um, be there for them in their lowest and their highest moments. And for that reason, I am choosing CC Sabathia's fatherly support. And maybe it's not even fatherly support, even though that's what I wrote down on my list, but it's kind of like an older brother kind of support. Like CC is like the coolest older brother ever who is like extremely able to relate to you, but also able to like share the wisdom of being in the league for so long and having grown with MLB and having aged nicely into this role that he's with, with the Yankees now and in what is his final season. And, um, I, I just respect the hell out of CC and, if you use this as the bow to wrap up all of the rest of our characteristics, I, I feel like along with all of this will come with like that same maturity and that same ability to um, like command the attention of a clubhouse when you need to, but also just like kind of fit into the clubhouse when you don't. It's CC's final year and he's in an incredible amount of pain over from all of the repeated years of, of going out there and being a workhorse on the mound and it's never at one point like been about him, you know, like this season because the Yankees have had so many things going on and so many injuries and so many guys stepping up and he's not on like any crazy retirement tour. Not that there's anything wrong with like the retirement tour thing, but he's just been so like woven into the fabric of that team. And I think if I think I admire that so much as someone who's only ever gotten to watch CC from afar, he's never been on any of the teams that I've been rooting for. I admire that and I think that as the final characteristic for our superstar is I think fitting and worthy of all of the other stuff that we've named before this. You want to talk relatable? My guy has a fucking podcast. Like like what's more <laughs> relatable than that if we're being quite honest with ourselves? Like he he really is the the representation that we need and frankly I hope that he keeps it going when he retires because uh because podcasters unite man that's one thing that that you and I and CC Sabathia have in common. Yes, podcasters do unite. This is all just an elaborate ploy to get CC Sabathia to come on tipping pitches and to bring us on his podcast. You've exposed <laughs> our ruse. <laughs> um but before we wrap this segment up, I think that you know, some of you listeners might be rolling your eyes at some of the stuff that uh, uh, we've talked about because it it covers I think a lot of the same ground that we um, that we often love to talk about on this podcast, whether it's Yasiel Puig or Javi Baez or, or Francisco Lindor. Uh, so but, yeah, that's like the Holy Trinity. Yeah, that's just that's just it right there, like the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> um, a lot of but, church shit on this podcast. Yeah, for real. Um, but I think that it's very easy to get lost in the the weeds and, and, you know, we, we have a lot of, I think really important discussions on this podcast about things that don't necessarily get touched on a lot. Um, but especially at this point where baseball feels like it's at this turning point and there's so much conversation about baseball's marketability and, and what can baseball make it, what can baseball do to make itself more popular? And, I think sometimes it's important to just zoom out and say that the answers are right there in front of you. 
And I'm not saying we're doing Rob Manfred's work for him, but we are. But we're doing Rob Manfred's work for him. Like like I'm I'm (laughs) clocking these hours as consulting fees for Rob Manfred, as always I do for every week that we record. Yes, exactly. Like this, it just what I'm saying is it shouldn't be this hard. Like they, like the stars are right there and they're ready for the spotlight. Hundred percent. We would not have a reason to do this or a desire to do this if we were already not seeing this in the baseball that we watched today and loving it. So uh, we are going to take one quick break and then we're going to come back and close out with three up three down. You know you got such dark eyes. Okay, we're going to do three up, three down, and then we're going to get out of here. But um, something's gnawing at me, Alex, and it's the fact that I didn't put anything about Jacob deGrom in our ideal superstar of the 2020s. So if there's one thing, an honorable mention, that I feel like I should have thrown in there or maybe lobbied for, um, it's Jacob deGrom's consistency. I love that guy so much, and he just goes out there, and every time he's on the mound, I feel good. I feel at ease. Even if the Mets aren't going to win, I know that nothing is going to blow up in my face and feel truly terrible while he's out there. It's like a warm embrace. So shout out to Jacob deGrom. He's not on my three up, three down. I haven't talked about him on this podcast in a little while. He's There's like a weird like shadow campaign for him to win Cy Young. He's not going to win Cy Young again. He won a Cy Young last year. Great year. Beautiful. You love to see it. But um, all right, it's time for three up, three down. So what's coming off your list? All right, first off my list, the D-backs not knowing how to tank. Short-lived. I only put it on there last week. But... It's the D-backs, and I'm sorry, but they just don't take up much mental space in our year of the Lord 2019. And uh, and they lost 12-6 to the Marlins yesterday, so that automatically disqualifies you from me having to think about you for the next week. So, you're done. Uh, next off my list, baseball's problem with penis pills. I, really just a bizarre story that cropped up, and uh, and then we stopped talking about it. And I'm okay with that. I I didn't have much more to add on the issue. So I I hope they get the help that they need off the field or or in the sheets or or wherever it may be. And uh, <laughs> and last but not least, Bernie Sanders playing baseball at <laughs> the field of dreams. What a weird and, thing. Uh, <laughs> we've we've had like a decent amount of presidential candidate baseball crossover like these last mm-hmm. few weeks but um but bernie it's all about what have you done for me lately like i'm sorry yeah you, you hit a single three weeks ago like we get that's it not gonna, that's not gonna do very much so I was the old uh, bp now you only hit your last <laughs> hit was three weeks ago uh yeah so uh so that's what's off for me this week what about you Last week, you'll remember I added Jacob Junis, Zach Plezak, and Ronaldo Lopez because those were my planned spot starts in my fantasy baseball playoffs. <laughs> I have since been eliminated from those fantasy oh, baseball playoffs. Sad. I lost by one strikeout, Alex. One strikeout. And do you know who made that strikeout? Do you know who it was? I know you know who it was, but I'm going to tell the listener. It was Hansel Robles, the bane of my existence while on the New York Mets. It's just, honestly, it's too Greek tragedy for me to even be mad at it. Like, it's just a, it's a stroke of fate. 
Uh, okay. Everybody, everybody, DM Bobby your condolences for his tough fantasy baseball season. No Don't matter how your team's doing this year, um, Bobby, Bobby needs a hug. Everyone, I I was going through it on Sunday night. Um, second off my list is Kyler Murray. You're in the NFL. You get one week of thought from me, frankly. So bye. <laughs> and it's only once a week, really. <laughs> uh, and then finally off my list is a thing from a few weeks ago. Um, it was the Venezuelan Winter League which we talked about when there was the larger political story of the U.S. Um, breaking diplomatic ties with Venezuela and economic ties with Venezuela. So it was presenting, pre- presenting problems for Venezuelan baseball players who wanted to go back to their home country and play in uh, during the offseason in those winter leagues. Um, I'm taking that off my list because not a lot of... Uh, not a lot of anything evolving much in that story, but I will add it back when we get word of what is going to go on. I hope that it is positive <laughs> news for the Venezuelan players who would like to play in those winter leagues because they're important. Um, adding on to your list this week, Alex, you're up. I'm just thinking a lot about Marcus Simeon these days. Hell yeah. Marcus Simeon, the, the hometown hero, the Bay Area born and raised kid who went to Cal. And is and is now playing for the Oakland A's, and is in the midst of putting up what might be the best season ever played by an Oakland A's shortstop. And I and I don't say that lightly because there have been uh, quite a few good seasons by Oakland A's shortstop, even in my lifetime. Uh, a uh, one Miguel Tejada had a good year too, if you might recall. But Marcus Moneyball Simeon, doesn't recall that. <laughs> you know, Moneyball obviously just not. Casually leaves him out, but that's fine. Marcus Simeon, man, I, talk about a guy coming from nowhere. I mean, he was, he, it felt like he was always kind of lying beneath the surface, but, but getting to watch his progression as a baseball player, both as a hitter and a fielder over the last few years has really just been an incredible thing to watch and something that like, I, I feel like it's so easy to get tied up in, in like the young, fun superstars of the game that it's really easy to miss the guys who just kind of bubble up and slowly get better and better and get better. Like Eugenio Suarez uh, for the Reds is another guy like that who has just continued to bump up his home run totals like year after year. And it's like, it's almost like when you're at a party and you turn down the volume on the music a little bit, like every 15 minutes. So like, no one really notices. And then all of a sudden the music's the off. Music. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's like, and that is the, to go home. the baseball. It's the baseball equivalent of that. Like all of a sudden you look up and you're like, wait, Marcus Simeon, what the fuck? So, uh, <laughs> so Marcus Simeon, my heart goes out to you, my guy, you're, you're leading the A's charge to a postseason berth. That's a, that's an interesting way to get rid of everyone at your party. <laughs> Here's another <laughs> way you can get rid of everyone at your party. Start playing my immortal by Evanescence very loud. That's the I, it, that's yeah. the Javi Baez announcement that everyone needs to go home. Yours is the Marcus <laughs> Simeon way. <laughs> um, so what's going up first for you this week? Going up first for me this week, it's Dallin Batances. I'm I'm bummed, man. I'm bummed about Dallin Batances to to have this year where you're hurt. You can't help out this great team that's going to win over a hundred games, and they're going to have this this playoff run where the bullpen is going to be a big factor and you could have been a large part of that and to battle all the way back from injury and then to just like partially tear your Achilles 
by just pitching, like landing weird or stepping on the mound weird. Like it's such a bummer. And this news came across the wire last night. Um, we're recording tonight on a Wednesday. It's been about a day since that happened, and I'm still pretty bummed about it. Uh, and this is Dylan Batanzas' walk year for the Yankees, and it probably doesn't sound like they're going to bring him back. Like there's been some frayed relationships between him and ownership. And I know Yankees fans get frustrated with Dylan Dylan Batanzas a lot because like they're so spoiled. They have like Chad Green and um, or Aldis Chapman and that kind of thing. But he's like a really cool pitcher to watch because he's like six foot eight. And there's almost nothing that you can do with his slider. Like he could throw it every single time, Lance McCullers curveball style, and you just can't hit it. It's just coming from an angle at a speed and moving an amount that it's just not possible for a baseball bat to hit. So I think he's um, one of the most electrifying relievers in baseball. And to see him lose the rest of his season and potentially a lot of his offseason on a partially torn Achilles is a real bummer. Yeah, he's. He feels like it feels like we are awash in pitchers who just absolutely overpower hitters these days. Yes. But in my mind, he was he was kind of like one of the not one of the first, but in 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 recent years where we were getting these like six nine guys who were just like mowing batters down. It felt like him and maybe like Andrew Miller were the first ones to to just make us like look up from our books and be like, whoa, what the fuck did he just do? Did yes. he just throw a hundred and two? Chapman and, as well. Yeah, yeah, Chapman. But we don't um, acknowledge his existence on this podcast. No, exactly. Um, I assume you're talking about Matt Chapman's uh, pitching career in college. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I, it, it makes me sad. I, just as it makes me sad that so many of baseball's superstars are are getting hurt to end the year, and it's and it's even harder when you have a when you have guys who have these. Um, injuries that keep cropping up and it's like you're seeing a guy's career start to um potentially go off the rails and i'm no doctor but you're not a doctor you want these but wait <laughs> but you, i was under the impression that this podcast that the whole reason i had you was because i'm a layman and you're a doctor uh no i am a dentist uh, which is why i talk so much <laughs> about francisco lindor's teeth <laughs> they're doctors yes exactly uh please respect uh, dentists uh, on this podcast uh, all this to say that um, if we could all just continue to watch Dallin Patances throw 100 miles per hour for the rest of eternal, eternity, that would just that would make me happy because, frankly, it's what we deserve. Just Dallin Patances versus Mike Trout every at bat. That's baseball oh in the 2020s. <laughs> it really is. That's the superstar right there. Uh, okay, number two for you on three up, three down. So there was an article or a, a column, I'll say, that was circulating on baseball Twitter today. And it comes from the Albany Herald. And uh, it didn't feel worth it to me to make it into a bad take reading because I don't want to give it the, uh, the airtime. And I'm going to read you the headline real quick. It's, uh, it, it, does, it does this weird thing where the, uh, the, the writer's name is in all caps at the beginning of the headline. So it's Carlton Fletcher. Answers to ladies' questions about baseball. And, and the, the column proceeds to be what seems like a, a really poorly executed um, joke, I think, in, in pretending that, 
that women don't know about baseball. And so trying to answer um, some of the, the, the questions that are adjacent to the game itself, like, ew, why are the players always spitting? And why do the players always pat each other on the butt all the time? And it's like it's trying to be really tongue-in-cheek about it all, but it just comes off as bad as if, as if he was just being serious about it all. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't, I don't want to read the column itself, but I do want to read the apology because it, can I just say, wait, can yes. I just say go before go you do this, the whole point of satire is to like subtly make fun of a thing. But if you just say all of the same things, it's no longer satire. It's like this whole hubbub with like comedians making jokes about a thing and feeling like they should be able to say whatever. And like at some point you lose the thread of like being on the outside of it and you're just embodying those same things. And that's what this column is. It's like you're weirdly thinking so far into the satire that you must like think about these things a lot, bro. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like when the guy responds to like a, a woman sports writer tweet and is like, haha, like, I bet you think a strikeout is a home run. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And it's like, he wants to be funny about it, but you just come off sounding like a dick. Like, you, <laughs> like there's no distinction between you and the guy who actually says that. So what's the point? Yes. <laughs> You're not speaking truth to power here. Anyway, this is the editor's note that Carlton Fletcher uh, appended to the beginning of the piece. And he says, uh, uh, this column appeared in the Albany Herald, uh, yada, yada, but it has created something of a national stir after being shared on websites by readers who assume that this is some archaic example of a South Georgia redneck Neanderthal who believes a woman's place is in the kitchen. Uh, the inspiration for the story came while watching an Atlanta Braves game with a, quote, female person, which is not a swipe at woman, incidentally, but an attempt to poke fun at the care with which we refer to gender these days, who remarked about players spitting all the time. This column was a tongue-in-cheek poke at some women's response to the gross habits of men who play sports. In no way should anyone read into this that I don't think women know the intricacies of baseball nor understand the game. It was meant to be funny, and while I've learned that humor is lost on many readers, <laughs> it should be noted that none of the women who are regular readers of the Herald expressed outrage over the contents of this column. Uh, yada yada, I love women, and I've always said that they are by far the superior gender. Wait, does he say anything <laughs> about having a daughter? No, but we did almost get a male apology bingo right there. <laughs> I just like guys have no idea how to apologize. And that's that's really all I want to say on the issue is that you come up and be like you don't get the joke and actually I love women and have many women friends. And I'm like oh, I love women and have many women friends. <laughs> sure. I have sure, so many women Carlton. people who are my friends. Yes, exactly. A female person. Really <laughs> weird <laughs> phrasing in there. Uh, he definitely anyway, just wrote female at first, and his his editor was like, "Why are you dismissing women by calling them females?" Honestly, it might be that he's the editor. So, <laughs> I <laughs> because it's an editor's note, and then it's signed by him. So, <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. There's, there's a, a lot, lot of, to unpack. Yeah, there's a lot of conflicting power going on here. This is the type of editorials that she you should have written while you were editor of our college newspaper. Exactly, Carlton Fletcher, come on and teach us how to do real comedy because we clearly just we just don't get it, man. Yeah, he's like fucking set up punchline all that shit he's got it going in that column 
<laughs> um, all right, up next for you. When is Carlton's 30 minute Netflix special? Um, <laughs> it's right after Chappelle's. Uh, <laughs> next up for me is the idea of blame in the world of baseball. And maybe this is a, a fitting follow up, but it's, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction here. I'm thinking about the Noah Syndergaard catcher situation, which has been bubbling up over the last two weeks. I added it to my list last week. Um, but it's not, it's not really just that. I think it's more the idea, the general idea of who gets blamed for what and why and how much of it, we'll never know the answer to this question, but how much of it is planted by organizations, how much of it is counterplanted by players and their agents, and how do these media narratives that unfold, sometimes on social media, frequently in legacy media, how do these stories bubble up and get taken seriously by then radio, then TV, then satire, satirized in podcasts like ours. I just, you know, because you think about like the Red Sox who are not going to make the playoffs, the Indians who might not make it this year after a season, an off season of not spending, the Yankees who have come up short of the World Series in the last few years while being maybe one of the best teams in baseball. I just wonder how like, what are the mechanisms for who gets blamed for what? Is it really just human instinct to decide who deserves all the blame or are there larger forces going on with all of this? I think I probably lean towards the latter. Um, but that's something that's been on my mind over the last year because like, there is always someone that gets scapegoated, scapegoated in sports. And I feel like a lot of the times that maybe goes too far and is not the most constructive way of thinking about a lot of these things. Like, It's probably not the it's it's probably not Wilson Ramos's fault that Noah Syndergaard is having a bad year. It's probably Noah Syndergaard's fault for throwing the ball middle middle, and like maybe some of Wilson Ramos's style of catching and, and game calling and whatnot is contributing to that. But like, I don't know, I don't know, man. I I wonder like, is there really blame to go around there, or is there just like, is that just the nature of baseball? Do bad things just happen to most of the teams? Because I kind of feel like maybe just bad things happen to most of the teams, and we don't know why. Yeah, but that's not a it's not an acceptable answer I think to a lot of readers. And it's very easy especially for national baseball media to get sensationalist with a lot of it and it's very easy to get drawn into the idea of just placing the blame on the fact that Gary Sanchez doesn't know how to play baseball at all. And and half of it is I think vying for attention whether that's on the on the media or the player or whoever um and the other half of it is that it's a really easy way to just kind of not actually dive into the issues at hand Mm. um it's it's really easy to just kind of paint broad strokes about an issue and place the blame on on one person or a manager or, or whoever it is rather than actually having a a conversation about the things that are at player or like you were saying that sometimes just like shit happens and it's not necessarily Mickey Calloway's fault that Edwin Diaz 
blew the save that you know the the that like the bullpen issues can only be chalked up to him so much and at a certain point like maybe the pitchers just aren't very good but um, and maybe we don't even know why the pitchers are not very good maybe we don't right, know why ex- they are good. like I, ex- like yes exactly you put, like <laughs> put Chad Green and Edwin Diaz side by side and tell me why which one is good and which one is not like I don't think we know these things like you ask the smartest people in baseball and they don't know these things so why are we pretending to yes yeah and I I don't think there's a way to rationalize all of this, but I think as fans and as humans, we are want to just find easy ways to explain things. Um, I know that we said we've talked about religion a lot on this podcast before, and that's perhaps a, uh, another example of that sort of thing of a, a device in which we use to explain the world around us in a very unexplainable world. And I don't say that as a positive or negative thing, anything or or like that, but I think we, we often want to turn to one person and say, this is why that's happening. And, and that's it. Speak to me, baseball gods. Okay. What's your final thing? (laughs) Three up your third up this week. Last thing on my list. And this is extremely important because last week on this podcast, you asked me, I think, who you thought was baseball's soft boy. Oh my God. I forgot all about this. Yeah. And I have the answer for you. Oh, um, yes. on, on Jake Cave's Instagram, Jake Cave is an outfielder for the Minnesota Twins. My, um, my, my secondary team, I think, this year. He, uh, he posted a photo of a, a few Twins players on their team flight. It is actually five players, to be exact. And they're all wearing band t-shirts and so i'm gonna go from, from right yeah. to left in this one I because it tells it <laughs> uh so on the right you have tyler duffy oh no uh, p- pitcher oh, for no. the twins wearing a wearing a beatles shirt uh second to right <laughs> that's second to right it is sergio romo wearing a grateful dead t-shirt shouts out to him uh Sergio Romo, let's get together and smoke some weed and uh, and ponder religion. Let's do it. Hold on, wait. Did you say it, that what the caption was for this post? Uh, no, I did not say the, for the caption, but the caption is favorite band flight. So the first of all, this is a cute little team building exercise that they have going on here. They wave, wear the t-shirt of their favorite band. Why don't we do this? How about favorite band party? Next time in, I'm in Brooklyn, throw that party. Hell yeah! This and this tells you so much. I think about each player, like the fact that Tyler Duffy's a Beatles fan. I'm like, come on, my guy, really? I'm like, into it. Yeah, or it's, yeah. Beatles I'm make fucking good songs, go dude. <laughs> um, Jake Cave is in the middle, yeah. wearing a Lincoln Park shirt. No encore remix. Let's get it. <laughs> It starts with one thing, and I I really don't know why. How could you know why? It doesn't even matter how hard you try. Honestly, the baseball nihilism from the previous previous up on my list, he's embracing that. (laughs) We're just, we're just like, quoting Linkin Park lyrics on this podcast now. That's what this is. It's funny um, because Luis Arias, who's like a t- like one of the top prospects for the Twins and come up this year and he's hitting 350. I love the people who do something like comment two fire emojis. Like that's what Luis Arias did. What is that yeah. adding to this photo? <laughs> Honestly, you know what he's adding to this photo is his Biggie shirt. 
It's all good, baby, baby. Uh, it was all a dream. His, his sky's the limit biggie shirt. That's Hell what he's yeah. bringing to this photo, which props to him. We stand. Uh, yeah, we absolutely stand. But to the far left of this picture is I can't believe the, this. The, the German hunk, Max Kepler, wearing none other than a Smith's t-shirt. And God damn it. I... I saw this and I just did not know what to think. Why do you follow I, <laughs> Jake Cave on Instagram? I, I don't follow Jake Cave on Instagram, but this this came across my social media feed and it was just too darn good not to share. I, Jake Cave, <laughs> c- come on here and talk to me about Morrissey, I guess. Oh, to die by your side would be such a heavenly way to make a podcast, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> the final thing on my list this week. Great work out of you. Investigative journalist Alex Baisley for hire. The final thing on my list this week is, this is like a really, uh, just a wild thing. I must have been in a place when I wrote this down, but um, it fits into the Beatles theme because I've written the long and winding road of baseball. Alex, are you ready for me to somehow defend this this crazy thing that I'm adding to my list? I don't think so, but this is the delirious part of the podcast, so let's do it. Mike Yastrzemski, man. Fenway Park. Mm. Can you believe it? It's yeah. just such a it's such a crazy journey that we're all on as baseball fans with such a rich text of history to build the foundation of. You know, I don't know where I'm going with this necessarily, but I think it's crazy. Like when, when things like this happen and people read off the crazy stats or they talk about like how eerily reminiscent some things that are happening in the present are to things that have happened in the past. And of course, that's the case with the Mike Yastrzemski homering at Fenway Park and in the same place that Carl Yastrzemski hit a ton of them. Um, it's crazy because like baseball has as much history as like probably more than 50% of the countries in the world. (laughs) And I am not frequently reminded of that because I get so caught up in the 2019 of it all. But when I am reminded of that, I'm like, oh, this is a game that's been been going on for a really long time. People like to fear monger about what it's going to be like in 10 years. But decades ago, Carl Yastrzemski was hitting home runs in this exact ballpark. And last night, Mike Yastrzemski, his grandson, was hitting home runs in that ballpark. And I'm like, you know, it's all a flat circle and baseball is the circle. So we're fine. How about that? Did that all make sense in the end? It sounds like you've been this smoking is the DMT. weed and listening to the, <laughs> the Grateful DMT Dead with the Sergio Romo. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> Joe Rogan just joined the chat. <laughs> Honestly, I in the end, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. God damn it. At least I know what music to pick for this podcast. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This was uh, quite a journey of a podcast, my friend. I'm glad we have come out on the other side. We've done a lot of talking about not actual baseball things, but that's what we do here, huh? We started this podcast talking about how Homer Bailey might be good and ended this podcast with like the sheer existence of ourselves in this universe and baseball just being a flat circle. 
And I don't know what I'm going to do with myself after this. I can't go to bed. <laughs> I, can't, I can't just lie down and go to sleep. You're going to finish watching the Dodgers dispatch the Tampa Bay Rays so that the A's can solidify their spot in the AL wildcard. How about that? Hell yes, I'm down. Um, thank you to anyone who made it all the way to the end of this long and winding road with us. We appreciate it, of course. Please reach out and share the uh, the 11th and the 12th and the 13th and the 14th tool that should make the Tipping Pitches superstar of the 2020s. Um, anything that we missed in 3 Up, 3 Down this week. Uh, just maybe general thoughts about the podcast if you have them. Hit us up on Twitter uh, or leave us a kind review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I always say leave us a review in Apple Podcasts and sometimes I go and check to see if we've gotten any new reviews in the last week or so. People could be leaving us hella reviews on Stitcher, Alex. Think about that. We wouldn't even know. Yeah, that's true. Or or Google Play Radio. Is that what Whatever it's called? Whatever the fuck it's called, yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to ostracize our listeners who do not listen on Apple Podcasts. I don't listen on Apple Podcasts, but you know, that's that's kind of the place, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, send us nice things, or if you have uh, if you have critiques for us, send them our way too. Or uh, or listener questions. We 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 do love a, a good listener question, so please send them in. Because as you can tell, we uh, it's the end of baseball season, and we're, we're scraping <laughs> the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> we're just talking about baseball players we like again. It's how we started this podcast, and it's how it's going to go down. So uh, give us something else to talk about. Um, All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the the, I'm gonna do the cold open as you, Alex. Alex, we uh. I, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question about a scenario. Okay, are you ready? <laughs> and then I'm gonna do me as well. Um, <laughs> I think so. About as about as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> okay, Alex. <laughs> you know you can just pick it up from there. Now you made me self conscious. <laughs> <laughs>